All right. Uh, we're doing another special split episode of the Fuzz Club. We're talking about the Sorceress album, Beneath the Mountain. And we are lucky to have Liam Neighbors on this podcast. Um, Blake here as well. Uh, welcome, guys. Excited to talk about this one. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So I tried to listen to your interview with Cave Dweller, but my Spotify was being odd and uh, kept stopping every few minutes and just not playing anything. So I didn't get too far into that. So for anybody that doesn't know or know the story, and I'm, I'm one of those people, I don't know too much about it. Tell us about kind of the history of Sorceress, what happened to this album, uh, you know, why it's being re-released now. Um, why the band was was no longer after after that album was created? Uh, just give us a little bit of like history on some of that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Uh, I might take those in a, a roundabout order. Uh, I think first and foremost, the reason that Beneath the Mountain uh, is being reissued is because since its creation, a couple of the members, uh, including myself and uh, my close friend Matt Williams, uh, have gone on to make the projects called Hell and Mismore that have uh, gained a decent amount of traction in the extreme underground metal scene. And so now um, there's been the opportunity and the interest from the audience and also record labels um, to delve into our past work because actually we've been uh, in bands together for like 15 years now or so and also our our other close friend Andrew Black who is a live member of both of these projects Hell and, and Mismore was also in this band Sorceress with us and I've been playing in bands with him for close to 20 years now so really our our most current and extreme endeavors are just kind of the the tip of the iceberg of a really long musical relationship uh and friendships that we have going on here and uh people have become interested through through helen mesmore mostly i think um sorceress i guess you could say formed in 2008 the album originally released in 2009 um, but all four of the members, that's Andy, Matt, myself, and our friend Blake Farron, uh, we were in a band together previous to Sorceress called Love Machine. And Love Machine was kind of a little bit more of a rock and roll version of what Sorceress became. And we only made one album, and the last song on that album was called Sorceress, and it was a little bit more metal-sounding and... Uh, we did some some soul searching and realized that uh, that was the direction we wanted to take the band, and uh, you know named the new iteration after the song, uh, and made this stoner rock, stoner doom metal album beneath the mountain in two thousand nine, and um, we we mostly played in Salem and in Portland um, house shows and clubs and theaters and the band broke up because well lots of different reasons um you know we were like 18 when the record came out so it's a 
awkward transitional time for most folks out there and sure. lives were just starting to go in different directions and I can't uh you know I won't speak everyone's piece on this I know everyone has a, a different take and a different explanation um but my side of it was I was uh, becoming really religious actually and um I the band was kind of falling apart a little bit already um matt had left the band and we were trying to we had just made a record so we were trying out a different drummer and then i moved to germany for six months to go to bible school and the band was just kind of on hiatus and then when i got back i didn't want to do the band anymore uh and for like personal spiritual <laughs> convictions of sorts and so we played one last show together with Matt coming back just to do one last hurrah in I guess 2011 so you could say 2008 to 2011 was the life of the band but a lot of that was was spent in suboptimal conditions and really the the record we made in 2009 is the one thing the re one real thing we did mm -hmm. so it's been really cool to have that get attention um uh, it's just been a lot of fun to remember that uh and and have it fully realized uh 14 years later sure it it kind of seems like every time you start a new project it gets heavier and more extreme than the last is that fairly accurate <laughs> yeah yeah definitely so how does it feel now that this album is getting kind of reissued to like go back down memory lane and think about music in that same time period do you have some part of you that goes like, oh, I, I still still dig that kind of music. I can go back and do some more of that. Or are you still just like full on heavy extreme, you know, from here on out? I definitely still dig that kind of music. I don't know that I would make it again myself. Um, you know, a, a weird thing for me has been making the transition from being a singer to screaming and going back to singing and trying to like, do a style that I was doing when I was 18. I don't even know if I could do it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh but yeah, no, it's interesting listening back to the record cuz I'm definitely still proud of it. Um we did a, we, the the songs, I think the songs are well written. I think the performances are good. I think we uh took the time and attention to detail to have it engineered properly and have uh good quality artwork. Uh, which were things that our bands in the past, when we were, you know, 15, 16, 17, those things weren't really there. They were evolving. So I feel mm -hmm. like this was the first time we made something that was like professional, but we were just a small group of kids in Salem where the music scene is really tiny and people pretty much don't make it out. So yeah, only, you know... 100 to 200 people probably ever heard our band when we were active. Um, but, you know, when I listen back to it, the, yeah, I hear lots of things I like about it. And then obviously the in context of who I am now as a musician, I have things that I think about like, oh, if only we had tuned down a little bit uh, or slowed this part down a little bit more. But that's just my my perspective, you know, in the moment in the band, there were other people that didn't want to get extreme 
And so it was, you know, doom metal balanced against like rock and roll and psych. Yeah. And it was all of our personalities and not just mine. So yeah, I, I hear I hear some things like that where I'd be like, oh, it'd just be so much heavier if we were at least one step down. <laughs> but you know, we were eighteen, and I think I think the record's really great in in the context of two thousand nine and the bands we were listening to and and what we were trying to do with that. What kind of stuff were you listening to in in two thousand nine? We were listening to a lot of uh, Witch, The Sword, Witchcraft, Donova. Uh, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, um, and even like extreme stuff. I was listening to Burning Witch and Wolves in the Throne Room uh, and Earth and Bongzilla and all that kind of stuff by then. So it was just a big melting pot of all the influences we had kind of skewed on the heavier side of things, but not going like full on, like no blast beats, no no screaming, you know, like still kind of fun and, and stony and mm-hmm. not dark and sad as much <laughs> yeah i was curious about some of the uh the lyrical themes on this album um because you, you've talked a lot about especially in ms Moore, um about kind of how that started as a way of talking about a crisis with faith and then kind of you know your your journey throughout that um in in reading some of the uh you know, the press release around this album, I, I saw that kind of the, the lyrical themes are really inspired by Lord of the Rings, mythology, and Christianity. Um, and so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and kind of what that process was, what you guys were trying to say at the time, if you were trying to say anything at the time, because you were, you know, a teenager. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, good question. Back, back then, I was really uncomfortable with um being clear and being knowable and i wanted everything to be veiled in symbolism almost mm-hmm. to the point of like being nonsense to someone else that's reading it and i don't know why i felt that way and i i write lyrics completely differently now where i have a specific message or idea that i want the listener to understand and take away and digest um, but back then I think I was just embarrassed about what I was saying or in some way or another. Uh, so that's, I think where the heavy, like fantasy, uh, lore kind of allegorical vibe comes in because I really didn't want to just talk about my life because I didn't think it was very interesting, but I still wanted to share. Um, and I hadn't, I think a big, uh, reason for that is that like with Mismore, I went through like a personal tragedy and like a, a really dark time in my life. Uh, and that gave me a lot of inspiration and kind of the ability to be vulnerable with it, I think. But back when uh, we were doing Sorceress, I mean, I was writing songs about drug trips, romances, uh, and just straight up fantasy. So there's there's stuff from my life woven in there, uh, mm-hmm. lots of relationship stuff, and just like teenage psychedelia. Um, and some of it is just purely fantasy. And I don't think I had gone through enough real life hardship yet to write more authentic uh, lyrics and want to be transparent about what I'm writing. 
So sorceress was more of a, a fun approach, I think, where like I was I was using moods and stories from my life, but dressing them up in like I mean, aren't wizards and swords and stuff fun? Like, yeah. maybe there's a way that this is also about that, you know, but we don't have to get so serious or boring or, or clear about it. We can just be in a fantasy and, and rock. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Do you ever miss that kind of thing where, like, you're making music now that's very personal. Do you ever miss just throwing a song out there about something fun and fantastical? Oddly enough, I don't. No. Uh, Not even now that we're going down memory lane with Sorceress and re-releasing and all that kind of stuff. You don't, it's you know, it's oh, that fun. Was, that was a lot easier, making fun fun stuff that had nothing to do with me Well, it, on, the, on the outside. Yeah. Well, it was, but yeah. that's just not who I am right now, so I don't think it would be easy. I think if I sat down and tried to do that, I'd be like, this is not working. Right. This is stupid or not natural for me right now but it was natural for me then so i like that it's a, a part of my life but i don't i don't know that i could write like that um it might be an interesting challenge actually yeah to just one day try to write a song about something made up something else that doesn't have to do with with me at all uh but yeah it's just just a different different time and place for me i think you mentioned coming out in, in Salem and, and kind of a small scene there. What was the reception to this album when it came out? Was there was there much? Was there anything? Yeah, I mean, as far as Salem goes, people yeah. liked us a lot. Um, we would play with a handful of the local bands that there were, um, many of which also contained one or more of our members. And um, We'd play at the, like, you know, sometimes there was only one venue in town. Sometimes there were three, and, you know, that's kind of what you're looking at, a small downtown area with, like, mm -hmm. a really small group of, like, alt kids. But there was kind of a special time and place thing to Salem back then. For instance, now there's a much small, even smaller music scene, and I think it'd be a lot harder growing up there now as a creative person trying to find other people your age that are like-minded to kind of be angsty with um, but f for Salem there actually was a a bubbling little music scene when when I was growing up there so uh, I mean the reception was you know no one everyone loved everyone's band and no one took anything very seriously um, so I don't think there's, you know, the type of reception that's like, wow, these guys are going to go far. I think it's just like, this is our city's, uh, you know, stoner band and mm -hmm. we're here for it. What was the kind of the turning point for like Mismore and, and Hell and stuff like that then after that, that started getting more and more traction and kind of seeing Sorceress in the, in the rear view more? Yeah, that that was interesting. Hell was starting as Sorceress was ending. And also, you know, for, for Matt, that was a project that was born of traumatic life circumstances. And I think everyone was just kind of starting to get darker as things were start real things were starting to happen in life as we were growing up. And um, Matt, Matt got... Uh, taken under the wing of 
a really small underground label called Pazanta Urfolk that is no longer around. Um, through relationships with our friends in Salem, um, Paul Riedel, Nate Myers, Kyle Watson, uh, these guys are a few years older than us, and they lived at this house in Salem called the Burial Grounds, or the BG. And whereas Sorceress and my group of friends were kind of from, like, the regular Salem music scene, um, and we were a more metal band in that group, uh, there was a really, really small subset of extreme metal bands that would only play house shows. And if you had to know, if you knew, you knew. And uh, these were friends we also grew up with. And at some point, Matt started getting really close with them. And um, he was exposed to a bunch of new music and kind of took his stab at doing their thing and uh everyone was really floored when he showed them the first couple hell songs um and so through through their scene and connections and and relationships um hell started getting shown to more people and uh eventually he worked with a small record label and then I became a member of the live band and we toured around and I had just started Mismore and then, you know, the same process kind of rippled out for me. I, uh, would bring some Mismore stuff on hell tours and slowly over time, people just started to care about our bands and, um, that felt really good, but also really surprising because I mean, you just, work for years and years and years at something before anyone takes you seriously or cares about what you're doing. So I, I felt like there was a lot of luck and circumstance involved, um, that, you know, we were still talented people, the same talented people, but for some reason we finally found a group of people that liked this iteration of our music and mm -hmm. that was really cool. I was curious about uh, kind of the <clears throat> if you could go into a little of the story of kind of refinding some of these recordings, because I was reading that you had to uh, contact the original engineer uh, to get them. Could you kind of go into that a little bit? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, for the last 14 years, we've had just the the original digital master of the record we made, we recorded and ha had it mixed and mastered all by the same guy, Edgar McRae. And um, when we went to do the vinyl, I just I just imagine like he he still does some engineering, but like he he has other jobs, too. And like I just imagined for some reason incorrectly that if I were to ask him, hey, you still have those unmastered mixes from 14 years ago, he would be like what no uh so i just kind of like auto summarized in my head that like well, well we'll be doing the vinyl remaster off the digital master and it'll still it'll be cool but it, there won't be as much uh head headroom uh and ability for the mastering engineer to push it because it already has compression and limiting on it and then i just I thought well i should just try so i hit edgar up and he was like you know 
I know I have them, but I don't know where they are. They're on a hard drive somewhere, and it might take me a while, but like I keep everything, so I should have them. And yeah, he found them, and then we got to get the original mixes remastered, and it sounds amazing. And we, we kind of had a similar experience with our artwork. Um, our, our friend Kento uh, painted a few paintings for us for the album originally, and we got like a bad scan of them that like altered the color, and that's what we used um, 14 years ago. And then I did a small run reissuing the CD for the first time uh, in 2020 for Mismore fans. And all I had was the original CD to to make my new artwork off of. So it just keeps getting more and more reduced and, and shitty. And we're like, well, if we're going to do a vinyl, we have to figure this out. So again, contacted the artist and Kento got me the paintings and... I got good scans of them and, and got them in there and like it it looks just like how it's supposed to. The audio and, and visual elements are both like actually right finally. <laughs> yeah. What was what was the process with uh hitching on with King Volume for for this release? Like, you know, cause I know you were you recently switched labels for Mismore, correct? Correct. Correct, yeah. Um and so what was what was it kind of like in terms of did Todd reach out to you? Did you reach out to him? Uh, how did all that work? Yeah, Todd, Todd's just a good uh, friend. Um, I've known him since the very beginning of Mismore. I met him on a hell tour when we were uh, on tour with a band called Drought from New Mexico. And Todd lived really close to them and was good friends with them and had done a bunch of artwork for them. So he just came on the tour. Um, and... We hit it off. He did some artwork for Mismore, actually the first bit of commissioned art ever he did for me. And um, we've just been in touch ever since. He has a really ripping band now called Heretical Sect. And um, I knew about King Volume that he that he released like stoner, psych, and like classic doom kind of stuff. Um, and I kind of wanted the Sorceress record to come out at some point on vinyl, um, just for like mine and Matt's committed fans that that like it, you know, just a small run because it is well done. And um, I, I had talked about it with with Gilead, but uh, Adam didn't have enough time um, for like an old album like that, which is totally understandable. Um, so I, I approached Todd, I think I could be remembering that wrong, but it was just casual. just threw out the idea thinking that, uh, he would say no, but he was actually interested in it and it was, it's a good fit for his label. So this is is pretty cool. We've seen a lot of old music brought back to life in in recent years with like the brown acid stuff and i think they're doing mm, yeah. like a heavy metal version of that now and then there's old little gems like this and we've talked about a couple of them on the podcast wicked lady was like one of our recent episodes that we did um and now you know we're talking about sorceress and how it's wasn't unheard of necessarily but kind of being brought back in delight you know there's a kind of a booming stoner scene happening and there's a lot of old music that can get a lot of new fans whether it's 50 years old or whether it was 10 years old. Um, do you have any other old stuff that might see the light of day sometime, even prior to Sorceress or anything? 
Probably not. I mean, yes, I have old stuff, but no. <laughs> I think I think Sorceress is the first thing that is is uh, worth showing people that we still, you know, that I still feel good about. I have used um, recordings that are almost as old uh, in Mismore in different ways, uh, but but yeah, I don't think any like the Love Machine album or, or Matt's and my band before that, even Sun Marine, I don't think we'll, we'll ever release that to the public. It's just... Was Love Machine it, ever released? Yeah, yeah, well, uh, we had a CD. I mean, we did the same exact same thing Sorceress did. We self-released a CD with art that a friend did. We went to a studio and, like, we did that one really quick. It's not as well engineered, but, you know, it's just Salem local bands, they just... They have a hard time, man. I mean, you you cold call a few record labels with your CD, and you get up to Portland to play shows when you can. Mm -hmm. But when you're kids and you're in a different city, also like we, a lot of the shows we got were like Battle of the Bands or like sell your own tickets kinds of kinds of shows when we went to Portland. So yeah. it was just it was just a yeah, it wasn't meant to be for people that young. Uh, but you know, it was fun. <laughs> Yeah. As as someone so, you know, especially, you know, most of you guys are either active or uh, have been active for quite a while in, in music and have really made names for yourselves. Um, was there any type of just kind of second thoughts about, you know, re-releasing this on vinyl and kind of taking your, your work from when you were a teenager and uh, kind of bringing it back into the, the consciousness? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's definitely a little bit of discomfort with going that far back and also showing people that I know are here for really extreme music, something that's a lot lighter. Um, yeah, there's definitely some discomfort there, but ultimately, I think it's worth doing so. That's what we're doing <laughs> yeah definitely but yeah i mean you know kind of like what we talked about at the beginning like most of us in the band now if we remade this record we would we would do a decent amount of things different differently uh but that would also totally change it right so it's kind of mm -hmm. this like time capsule it's it's locked in time with who we were then the gear choices the tone choices we liked then and i think that gives it a charm and i think it sounds cool but it's yeah. just different We've also seen a lot of old, older bands that have been out of commission for maybe even 20 years. Lowrider, Astro Queen, some of those coming back and getting back together, doing shows, making new records. It, was there any talk at all of kind of reforming Sorceress and playing a couple of shows or releasing new music or even thinking about doing anything like that? We've definitely kicked around the idea about playing um, not not new music, but... Yeah just doing some sort of reunion, uh, even if it was at a house show uh, or something, just for us, just to have fun and just be nostalgic and just play the songs one more time. Sure. We don't have any interest, I don't think, in like, you know, being much more public about that, trying to make a comeback or anything. Um, what, if, what if this record just explodes and, and becomes this, the next big thing in Stoder Rock? I mean, ne never say never, right? Like, yeah. but I, I think that I think this 
works well being a memory. Cool. And, you know, I, we're not going to make, like, a bunch of new merch or anything. It's just, it's the record, and, like, maybe at some point we'll get in the room and play the songs together and some people will be there. But I, I don't know. It could also not happen, and mm -hmm. I'd be fine with that. Because, again, I don't want to sing. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to sing these songs that 18-year-old that me sang. Um, but also I like, I love those people a lot, and I love those songs and playing with them. So yeah, I don't know. Fair enough. I'd definitely be here for it. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess my, my final question is you mentioned that, that you were doing things differently with like gear and things like that, you know, um, were you using a, a, you were the bassist and vocalist, correct? Correct. Okay. So what, what kind of, propelled you um to move you know in those kind of years in between Ms. Moore and and sorceress um to go from singing and playing bass to doing well everything and screaming yeah um well i've always done everything um i've been making full length solo albums with all the instruments and releasing them however small or DIY of a release it may be since the sixth grade and um, Ms. Moore just became the newest version of that the style always changes over the years but I've always had a need to get thoughts and feelings out in in music uh, in a non-collaborative way um, just doing everything track by track. I've just been doing that like my whole life. So I was, and playing in bands, uh, kind of running in parallel to that process for me. So, uh, that's been a constant in my life and bands have come and gone. So I just continued on doing my thing and it just got darker, uh, based on necessity and, also based on just what I liked. Uh, and it, it seemed a really natural progression for me to, to start screaming and make more extreme music. That's kind of the direction I wanted to take Sorceress in anyway, um, to get more and more extreme over time. So, so yeah, I mean, as far as gear goes, I didn't really know anything back when we made Sorceress and we were all just doing what we thought sounded good. And I started out with a cheap PV bass and during the band, I got my Rickenbacker, which is the bass I still use um, for Mismore recordings and live Mismore. And I also got near the end of that band, the bass Big Muff distortion pedal which I still have and is the pedal I use for all the guitars and bass on every Mismore record. So a lot of the gear stuff, like at least for me, I've done a bunch of experimentation at this point just because I, you know, why not? But a lot of the stuff is just like circumstance and luck again, you know, like it's just, it's what you have and you yeah. try to make, make all the different kinds of sounds that it can do and, and see what sticks. And then, when you go to do your next project, what are you going to use? Whatever you have, right? So I just, yeah. 
it's kind of just been a natural evolution for me uh, in that sense. And maybe I just lucked out with some sounds that I already like. Um, but, you know, we there there was a there was a guitar pedal on the record that like when we listen to now we we don't like um but we just we had no tone zone game yet like we were just so young we weren't exposed to enough things yet and we just used the stuff we had and also i i think that's a cool quirk that that the record that any record has honestly yeah they're just such little slices of life and and identity at any given point in time that's really fascinating yeah, gear and pedals and effects and all that stuff are so big. I mean, particularly in stoner rock and stuff, and I'm sure in some of the other extreme forms of metal. But to have a record that maybe it wasn't such a big deal at all, didn't play much of a part in it, I think is actually pretty cool. And and it probably shows a lot of people that you're overthinking it. <laughs> you know, that, that's an interesting point. Yeah, we were we were definitely much more focused on composition. Yeah, and you know enough tone uh contemplation to make sure that the compositional idea comes through to the listener but there was no like which amp do we use there's all these we get all these options let's make sure that we try every single one and re reamp it and you know at the end and try every pedal and all that stuff there was that was yeah. not in our minds whatsoever it was just you know, having fun writing songs and trying to make them sound pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just out of my, for my own curiosity, and I don't, I don't know how much this has to do with Sorceress at all necessarily, but how does finding religion and becoming religious play into extreme and really dark music? How does that work for you? Yeah, um, this has been kind of the central point to my project, Mismore. Um, the finding of religion, not so much. The losing of religion, which happened to me subsequently after diving in really deep, um, was uh, traumatizing, to put it succinctly. Um, lo losing, I was indoctrinated uh, into Christianity since I was a baby, and then, you know, when I was a, a younger teen, I didn't care about it so much, but never like completely wrote it off. And then when I was a late teen, early 20s, I had like a powerful conversion experience and like took on the religion as an adult for myself. And that's when I got really deep into it. And my life did a total 180. And, um, slowly over the next couple years that eroded and it hit me with a tremendous loss um it really turns your world upside down so that's that's where the darkness uh and the extreme outlet comes in just like grieving processing getting personal therapy and just get getting the negative out mm-hmm Yeah, it's it's been it's been fascinating to to watch kind of your your careers that's evolved all the way from from sorceress to you know Cairn and Wits End and um, especially reading like the lyrics and how they've changed over the course of the albums is is definitely uh, very insightful. Hmm. Yeah, it's been it's been a slow, long, 
gradual process, but you know, from 2012, when the first Mesmore record came out, I was still a struggling Christian. And by the time Cairn came out in 2019, I identified as an atheist. And the seven years in between that were pretty formless, agnostic, just confused and sad and lost. And uh, so I think the message ultimately is a positive one. Refound my identity and uh, feel good now, but started as a really heartbroken, confused uh, person. So my music, this artistic process was really helpful to me over the years. And there is a big transition and you can, you can hear it, but you can more so, yeah, read it if you're, if you're paying attention. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So what is, it's especially interesting with uh with like the first Ms. Moore album and how it, at least in my to my ears it's a very doomy album with black metal touches i guess is how i've kind of described it to a lot of people so you know for those the people that are listening to this or watching this you know who hear sorceress and say okay i like that i want to see more uh, i think the first first Ms. Moore album is definitely a great introduction into that Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think also a through line for people is the songwriting because I was the primary songwriter in Sorceress and it's it's common in Mismore and Sorceress, these really long songs um, that are often linear and kind of tell a story or take you on a journey with, with a bunch of different movements. Uh, you'll find that in both places too. And there is actually a transition album, a really underground transition album between Beneath the Mountain and the first Sorceress record, or sorry, the first Mismore record. And that's a tape that I called Yov, which is two lost Sorceress songs that I wrote for the band right before we broke up. And I just wanted to document them. So I recorded all the instruments myself. Uh, in the same on the same equipment I did the first Mismore record on, and then one song that I called Mismore Zero. That's actually a clean song. Uh, it's not distorted, but it sounds like it's supposed to be a black metal song. Um, and it was the song I made right before starting Mismore. So you you could listen to Beneath the Mountain, Yove, and the first Mismore, and have that all make sense, and then go through the rest of the discography and be like, okay, I. I see how we got here. Can you yeah, find Yov? Is that available somewhere? Yeah, it's, that's it's on, hard to find. That's <laughs> on Bandcamp only. It's okay. not on Spotify or Apple Music or anything. And there is a cassette of it. Uh, it was released by Grayson Records in 2016. It was sold out for a while, but he just reissued it a few months ago. And I, I already flew through my copies, but Grayson Records still has copies, and you can listen to the audio on on Bandcamp and. I think it'll probably always stay that way, a more cult tape, uh, not as widely distributed, but for any of the, the true heads that want to dig in, you can find it. Yeah, it's not, not a vinyl uh, appearance. <laughs> no. So what is, uh, what's next? What can we expect from you? Anyone that's checking you out for the first time, Sorceress, and going through the discography that way? You know, what, what can we expect yeah, so um, Matt's band that, that Andy and I play in, Hell, we're going on tour um, March and April, U.S. tour. And uh, then Ms. Moore, uh, I've got a new record coming out in the summer via Profound Lore Records. 
and I can't really say too much else about what's going to be going on around that, but keep your eyes peeled in the summer. There will be big things for me later this year. Awesome. Well, is there anything else, Blake or uh, or Liam, that you'd like to, to share with anybody? Just, just thanks for coming on. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say thanks for having me and being interested in this. It's been a, a trip to to get to talk to to people about this record and um, have there be interest and whatnot. So, just thanks for your time and the opportunity. Yeah, thank you, thank you for for joining us on this and giving us the backstory behind all of it. Anybody else that's here uh, checking this out? We're going to start the Fuzz Club episode right after this. All right, this is going to be part two of the Sorceress Beneath the Mountain episode, um, right after the quick discussion with Liam Neighbors. So um, we'll go around quick, do some introductions, and we'll dive into our talk about Sorceress. First? Yeah, sure. Bucky? All right, Bucky Brown with Doom Sharks. And just a fanatic of heavy music. Ox. Chris and Randy from the band Ox. Good to be here. Eddie. I'm Eddie from Lords of Opium Church and The Endless. Man Blake. Blake from Iowa. You son of a bitch. <laughs> you, you ruined it. Start talking. <laughs> Um, so, all right, so we're talking about Sorceress Beneath the Mountain, and uh, I I was trying to put this in context of like you know our talk with Liam and why this is an important album and why it's getting some uh, some publicity and stuff, and the fact that it came out like 15 years ago and it's getting this reissue, the fact that they went on to do Mismore and Hell and all that kind of stuff has this other like context around the album. But if you listen to the album just on its own merit, like it just came out yesterday. It's it's a really really strong album, regardless of all those other external things. I think. So, what's everyone else think about "Beneath the Mountain"? I've I've been unbelievably blown away by this thing. I, I've only gotten a chance to listen to it probably three times all the way through, and every time I like it more. And I yeah. loved it the first time I heard it. It's like quickly becoming one of my favorite albums of all time. Oh, I'm not here, but like. I, I wanna like I wanted to kind of dive into it a bit more in the days leading up here, but I also want to savor this album because god damn, like every fucking time I hear it, I'm just blown away. And every every single song is like a specific almost EP unto itself. Like the songs are so long and they have so many parts and they're just so well written. Like it's just I I think to myself, like, fuck man. Like yeah. I, I was I was like you know, this this is the kind of album that makes you want to quit music, but also makes you want to go and write music right away. Like, it's just inspiring, and also, it's fucking mind-blowing how good it is. Do you feel better or worse that it was done by a bunch of teenagers? Oh, it's insane, man. <laughs> First time of that, man. I, I didn't know that, but that makes me feel like a... <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> But yeah, I can't say I'm good about this album. Every time I hear it, like I said, it just gets better and better and it's surprising i mean maybe not so surprising because maybe the scene wasn't what it was you know however long ago um but i don't think that it, it gets a whole lot of recognition i don't think a lot of people know about it i certainly didn't until recently and you know talking to liam he said you know around their small scene there when it came out it did fine people enjoyed it 
but like it, it, it just doesn't have that like historical context that, you know, other great albums have. And so I think that that's probably why, you know, this reissue is so important. And the, and the individuals of the band went on to do other memorable things that people love. And that's part of why we're talking about it, but it doesn't seem like it has a whole lot of following. I mean, they only did the one album, I guess that's part of it too, but I, I never knew about this album. I don't think a lot of people did. Has it has it been re remastered or remixed or something, right? Yes. Or the, remastered. So I heard about thirty seconds of the original one, I think, on YouTube. The original mix or master. And then when I heard the current one, it definitely sounds much better now. So I think that might be part of it. Yeah. Like everything's popping on that on this new press. And you can hear everything super clearly. You can feel it all differently. And, you know, a, a well-produced album or, the, or the, the right production on the right album really makes a big difference, I think. Yeah. I do, I do kind of wonder what it sounded like when they first released it. Because, like Blake said, they were teenagers and it was like kind of their first album. It was the only one from this one. This is long before a lot of their other work. Maybe it sounded like shit. I don't know. I doubt it did. And... <laughs> I mean, back to, to what you're all opening up with. I mean, I never heard of this band. And around this time was like, I was really into the the scene. Like I knew a lot of bands. I was listening to all kinds of heavy, like stoner rock metal like this. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't recall coming across this one, but um, there were some other bands that popped up in my head, just knowing that this was like mid 2000s and the band that, jumped out at me that I was trying to reference was the band Solace from New Jersey. I believe they're from, they put out a couple albums turn of the century and then one in 2010. That's like a Epic album. Then they never quite got their due either. But it's, came out in 2009, just for reference, I think it came out in 2009. Yeah. I don't know if we said that or not, but it's yeah, right around 2009. So it, I mean, it reminded me of a couple other bands, but man, this thing, I listened to it since you gave you sent the the links out to listen i was i was listening right away so anytime yeah. i got a chance so and on that note i just realized today that that pr sheet you sent out had an actual download link to get the files which i was trying to do it on soundcloud on my phone which i had i was going to rant a little bit about the, the private SoundCloud links for like reviewers and stuff to try to actually yeah. sit down and, and listen yeah. is great. If you have all the, all day long where you're not leaving because the moment you get out of that app and you go do some other stuff and try to go back in it or quit the app, it's like, it's gone. You can't get back to the private <laughs> link. Yeah. So they, but I got the files now and I comes out tomorrow. Right. Right. Well, Two weeks ago. <laughs> two weeks ago. <laughs> Came but out yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah. But yeah. One of the things that was really cool in terms of the listening experience for me, besides being a, a big fan of the, the other bands that Sorcerers kind of spawned, um, was, you know, these guys are like a couple years older than me. Um, so in terms of the influences at the time, you know, it was kind of like a, a trip down memory lane for me. Because um, I remember being like 15, you know, probably younger even, and finding, 
you know, like the sword. And I hear a lot of the sword in this mm-hmm. and, uh, Jay Massis's other band, uh, which, which, yeah. Like, yeah, I got that on display right here. Yeah, that's an obvious, obvious. Internet. I hear the rich, but I also hear like a lot of other stuff. But there's yeah, I hear a lot of stuff, different material. Mm-hmm. But but it's it's kind of that that trip down, like remembering what it was like being a teenager, finding a lot of this music for the first time, and remembering the stuff that I wanted to do. Uh, with my friends, and none of them were down at the time. <laughs> uh, that deathcore was was the fashion at, at the time to be a, a teenage metalhead. Um, but you know, I thought I thought that was really interesting. Not only that, this is kind of it's kind of like a a, a a history document for Doom. You know, like you got you've got these kids who would later go on to do like really impressive things. And they're already doing something very impressive. They wear their influences on on their you know their shoulders um, while they're doing it, in my opinion. Um, but I don't think that's a bad thing per se. That's that's called being a teenager and writing. You're a fan of of Mismore and Hell, Blake, right. and I don't I don't know who else here is. But are there moments in this album that show the direction they were going to go? I remember talking to Liam a little bit about some of that. And he was just like, well, you know, we just wanted to do more extreme music all the time. And we just kind of left this in the past because we all wanted to move on to more extreme shit. But is there moments of this album that you go like, oh, I can hear a little bit of Ms. Moore in there, what they were trying to do? Yeah, I can hear more of Ms. Moore than I can of Hell. Um, Partially because if I remember right, Matt, who created Hell, uh, he's the drummer on this album. So you, you can hear some flourishes that you're like, oh, okay, that I, you later hear that in hell. <clears throat> um, but one of the real things that is very jarring, especially if you're a big Mismore fan, is hearing uh, Liam's like really signature scream that he does, um, which based off of a, an interview that I read with him, is actually based off of like uh, the the Nazgul, the Ring Race in uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, so it's that that very high pitched. It's I, I think it's actually an inhale as opposed to an exhale, which is just mind boggling to me. It's, it's the Roger Waters pterodactyl scream. I always think of it as yeah, yeah. The inhale, like yeah. I can't really do it, but <laughs> yeah. So that's high pitched and like fucking harsh and, and screeching. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really awesome. And and that's like a very signature thing in Mismore. Um, mm-hmm. Like some, you know, if there was going to be one thing that you would say, like, what is his like signature vocal trick or whatever? Uh, that that one's definitely way up there. So to hear him doing that when he's like 18, 19 years old um, is is pretty trippy. He kind of downplayed his his singing abilities, I think, when we talked to him a little bit and was like, you know, I was young and I was trying to sing and, and it's not really what I wanted to do or the kind of music I wanted to make. But I thought he sounded great. And, yeah. and you mentioned the sword. You mentioned the sword a minute ago. And I'd rather listen to this than the sword's vocals, personally. Yeah. Yeah, I like both. I like both. But uh, yeah, the vocals are ridiculous. They're so good. Yeah. Nobody's being modest because, man, he's he's phenomenal. Yeah. Um but yeah, I got into hell about, I don't know, four or five months ago. 
and uh, the the one album in particular, uh, it's got a red cover. I'm not sure what it's called, but well, they all have red covers, so that's oh, not <laughs> It's uh, the one that starts off with like a a, a a sunken ship or something like that. There's like a playback of like a ship that's been sunk. Anyways, uh, yeah, it's super heavy, like ridiculously heavy, and I don't hear any. Like I would never have put the two together personally. Uh, I like both. I haven't listened to Hell or Mismore. I never, when you said Hell, when I read Hell, I was thinking in my head, Full of Hell, the band Full of Hell, which I used to, I used to dig those guys a little more hardcore. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with Mismore or Hell. Hell is pretty, pretty much the heaviest, some of the heaviest stuff I've ever heard as far as Doom goes. Yeah. In terms of pure, pure like Doom, it, it's, it's yeah. bludgeoning. It's it's claustrophobically heavy. It's evil. It's like because it sounds like the the title. Like it's yeah. like being in hell, but but in a very palatable way. It's not it's not harsh or or hard to listen to at all. And then Mismore is blackened doom. So you mm -hmm. have a lot of black metal, you know, faster tempos, tremolo picking, and stuff like that. And then it slows down to just some of the most oppressively, almost not quite funeral doom. Um, but just slow, low, very powerful. Um, but both bands are, are very, uh, thoughtful bands, I would say. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting reading up like the band they were in before Sorcerer, Sorcerer's <clears throat> Love Machine. Love I Machine. read about, I tried my life to find material online. They released an album apparently. And I couldn't find anything. Yeah, I, I think I asked Liam about that, and he he said, you know, that it's not not easy to track down. Yeah, no, it's like I I did a search, and there's a there's a couple Love Machine bands that popped up. Some Canadian band uh, album called Brighton had an album named Love Machine, and then there's some Motown single by the Miracles called Love Machine. That was the top of the search. <laughs> what you need. It, I was like, yeah, they've came a long way since that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I went back and listened to Ms. Moore and Hell before we talked to him. And it, it's funny, like the, the progression of his musical career. I mean, it's like, you know, you talk about a band, I, just knowing that the band's called Love Machine for one, and then going into Sorceress and then, you know, Ms. Moore and Hell and that kind of stuff. Like, it's it's interesting. Yeah, because I mean, when, when we talked to, to Liam, one of the things that he mentioned was, you know, Love Machine had one song that kind of started coming out as like stonery doom, and they were like, "Let's let's do that." And I was like, "Oh, yeah. okay. just casually, just come up with this after deciding what after one song that you were like." And I, I believe there's a similar story to Mismore too, isn't there? Like one of the last songs they recorded as Sorceress it was supposed to be a lot heavier and more extreme, and he was like, yeah. "I'm going to make this my thing now." <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So it's, it's 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 interesting how how they took what they were doing at this time and were like, yeah, this is cool. Now let's make it more fucked up. Yeah, that's my first time hearing this band, and it's got me blown away. Like this is one of the top albums of like for like a stoner and doom mix that I've heard in years now, and all the songs are awesome. Yeah, it's it's so good that it really makes you wonder like how many other albums are out there that no one knows. And I, we've talked about this a few times on here about, you know, like the Brown Acid series and stuff about 
older stuff that is getting kind of resurfaced now. And it's like, I wonder if you could do that with just about any genre. And and I'm sure you could. They're doing a heavy metal one now. I wonder if there could be some sort of like stoner metal series like that, where you go like, this album got nothing 20 years ago. Let's put it back out. Let's get people to hear it. And this is one of those albums where you're like, this is so good that there's absolutely no reason that it shouldn't be heard. I mean, there's there's bands that you go back and you go, oh, this was like 1995 stoner. Okay, I get that. This is not one of them. I mean, this could have came out now and it, you'd be like, this is fucking awesome. Well, and it came out during the internet. So there's really like the excuse that like back in the seventies, the lost classics, if you weren't in that town, I mean, we talked about it. If you didn't have the record in your hand or hear it on the radio, you didn't know about that band right now. Like, so like the stoner bands or whoever that aren't real popular, like, that may be lurking deeper in the underground are still on Spotify. They're still on, like you can, you can hear them and somebody's heard of them, but you know. Yeah. One of the things I'd written down here was that I'm very sad that they're not still together because I, I would love to see this live band. Yeah. yeah. I, I tried to poke Liam a little bit and see if there was any talk of <laughs> shows, new, new music, kind of some kind of like, you know, reunion of sorceress mm-hmm. and it did not sound promising <laughs> that's maybe an understatement <laughs> yeah it seemed seemed pretty pretty cut and dry yeah <laughs> no interest uh, no interest in it well um, in probably like another 10 years he's gonna he's gonna start doing country <laughs> that's what they all do they go <laughs> the punk country type route yeah what do you think about that blake do you think that uh, a doom artist can start doing country music Theoretically. <laughs> uh, all right. So let, let's talk about some of the actual tracks. We don't do that very often on here. We kind of just talk about it in like kind of a broad sense. But I mean, I feel like every track on this is is different enough. I mean, it starts off with uh, it's called Wolves of Asgard, which is just an instrumental intro. I mean, it's it's long enough. It's big enough to be like more than an intro, but instrumental song. Um, some of the other songs I, I felt were like almost like teetering on like a prog metal or something. There's plenty of doom. There's plenty of stoner. So uh, is there any tracks that anyone found stood out to them or like a, a sound, a genre that stood out to them or anything about individual tracks on this one? I, I kind of said the same thing. Like the, the first track, that's the first one I heard when you gave us this album to, to listen to. I, I plugged on that track and I, I bought the album. The, I ordered the vinyl like before I even listened to that track. I'm like, yeah, this is rocking. And it was just building. It was like an introduction and it kept going. I was waiting for the vocals to kick in. Yeah. And it just kept going and building and they never hit. <clears throat> and I was like, did I, is this an instrumental album? Like, I don't think so. And then song two hit and those vocals just like, they poured over like, and that's where you get like that, witch kind of comparison track two has that real sinister kind of vocal tone getting going mm-hmm. and like the occult kind of doom flavor. And it just goes from there. Every track's kind of different. And yeah, I mean the, the guitar solos like dispersed throughout each track in different spots were, were great. Like there was a ton of guitar work, like a heavy rock vibe going on. I mean, we say doom and all this, but it's it's a rock and roll record too. Mm-hmm. Like 
there's some killer guitar solos on this. Yeah. Really right. ripping. And the fact that they're teenagers is just mind blowing. I, I still can't believe that they're teenagers. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Like each each song is like a suite unto itself in that there's like these parts that keep building and and they're new ideas. They're not like things that are just kind of like a you know, hold over till you get back to that other cool bit that they have. It's like they go from one cool part to another cool part to an even cooler part, and they yeah. almost never back to that original bit because mm-hmm. just keep. They, they must have been young and just so full of ideas that they had to put all of them into one song and then build this, you know, uh, compendium of, of riffs and, and grooves. Yeah, really- I I was gonna say something similar about how uh, one of you had mentioned that it was kind of like each song is its own little EP in in a way, and uh, no, I think the third track is called "Of the Trees," and I think that you know, one of my favorites. Yeah, I was gonna say probably my favorite track on it, and it starts as like this really heavy track, and then towards the end or like middle middle end or something like there's mm-hmm. this really weird like trippy. Yeah, it just goes yeah. off in this other direction, but it doesn't seem like random. I mean, it just seems like they wrote this story and and that's just the way it it lays out yeah. they, they kind of manage to do that with every song in a way they they keep you know and that's something that that's another thing that you do see in hell and mismore you know is these kind of like suites of songs you know like neither of those bands have strayed away from writing 20 minute epic songs um and so you you're you're seeing some of that being born with this album yeah um track two nine muses i i made note that it had like a early it's it's like one of the shorter tracks second shortest track at almost eight minutes but it goes into a guitar solo like halfway through like the four minute mark and then it hits this riff at 450 that just like crushes you and then it keeps going and it leads into a, another completely new and different guitar solo that goes for like another two minutes. And it goes like all the way and just, just like a face melter, the whole rest of the song. So I, I think if I were to pick, I think nine muses was my track of the album, but it, it it's different. Every time I listen, it's like a different song, a different part of a different song mm-hmm. will really get to me. Yeah. I'm saying like every time I listen to the album, there's a, a new song that I, I like more than I'd like before. And like right now, Black Acid Mother is the one that I'm hooked on because it's got a really chunky, groovy vibe to it. And they're all songs too, and they're still doomy. Like, there's a lot of, a lot of flavor to them. Yeah. That's yeah, the, that, is that uh, certainly the most Sabbath inspired sounding track, right? Black Acid Mothers. It's yeah, got that groove. Yeah. I wouldn't begin to, to be able to say what my favorite track is because there's so many parts, but. In each song, uh, but yeah, for me, I'd agree with Eddie that Black Acid Mother is the one that jumped out at me initially. But every song's a ten out of ten for me. Like, I, there's there's no weak parts. Even there, there's some odd parts. I can't remember which song it was, but they go to this kind of odd, almost like fun part in the one song. Yeah, you know the trees. I can't remember. Anyways, uh, there are parts where you're like, oh, that came out of left field. I wasn't expecting that to happen. But it works. Everything yeah. works together. And it's like even like like some like weird airy sounds in between the tracks too. And yeah, I like I like all that stuff. It all, but it all fits with pretty well with the songs too. Yeah, they had I I had that down, like maybe we'll get to as one one of the things I, I 
could probably do without was the the ending to almost every song was just some weird droney kind of see like, i love that sound bite. <laughs> and it, like guys are people are gonna like it but i'm like if i if you could pick like what could they do like i could live without it but i i also i also appreciate it and it it, it doesn't hurt it's just kind of like all right what what's going on here I, I want the next track but how about the the title track beneath the mountain the uh the 20 minute track did anyone feel like that dragged was was it a was it a long 20 minutes or was it a pretty easy uh 20 minutes to get through because for me i know that i always talk about the length of songs and stuff but i felt like it was a pretty easy 20 minutes to get there i thought it was great for sure i thought the same it's like you're starting an ep out another ep like it's it's yeah. it's its own journey so there really are journeys you're right like each one is its own its own album it's like six six different albums <laughs> I don't work together but they all you could all tell that it's the same band though it's not like yep. it's it's you, it's cohesive 100%. yeah yeah um i i wanted to share the artwork just real quick i don't have a, a whole lot about it um but i know that that liam had mentioned it a little bit like how it maybe one of his was it one of his friends or something blake do you remember that had made this originally I think so. Yeah. His name is Kento Woolery, who who made this. And, you know, they put the album out. It was what it was. It kind of disappeared. They all went on to other things. And when they tried to, like, put this out again, was it maybe even on, like, CD years later or something like that? I believe like, so. It was like a copy of a copy that they used. And it was pixelated and low res and all this kind of stuff. But for this, for the vinyl, they did finally track down the original art i believe and and this is why it looks as good as it does thankfully otherwise it would have been like you know eight the eighth copy of a copy and it probably would have been a little rough but they did eventually track it down yeah i think i read that in the in the pr stuff they talked okay. about tracking down the original art and it was like an oil painting or something and they did some high resolution scan to get it to bring it back for this for this album yeah which is cool. It yeah, looks I'm, like a it looks like a Doom yeah, record you'd see today. It looks like, it looks like it's a little heavier than I think the album actually is. Yeah. Actually, I think. And they've got the black metal kind of letters. Yeah, on there. I'm assuming so, some of you guys ordered the vinyl. Is that I, I did? Yeah, I figured. I but you haven't. I'm assuming you haven't gotten it yet, or did you? No. It, no it, okay. I was curious what the like the package looked like with with artwork and all that kind of stuff, but I've got high hopes. Yeah. Anyway, Kento Woolery and uh, did that. So, is there anything else that anyone wants to to bring up about about this one? One thing I, I want to say uh, it's kind of kind of crazy. I was looking at it on YouTube, and it came out three years ago on YouTube, or somebody posted it. I'm not even sure who's posted it. But it has less than it has less than seven hundred views. It has six hundred and forty-seven views right now, uh, and no comments, which is just crazy, like completely mind blowing. <laughs> Keep saying mind blowing, but fuck, it's like it's mind blowing to me because is it Sabathianly? What's that? Is it Sabathianly mind blowing? It's Sabathianly mind blowing. I think at some point people are going to be like, "This is the underground album that no one's heard of." That is everyone's favorite fucking album and to be at this point in knowing that it exists is kind of cool to me yeah it, it's so surprising that it's not a little bit more well known to me 
I mean, given the circumstances, it, it makes somewhat sense, but usually, you know, the, the, the best stuff does eventually make its way to the top. And it's like, this is one of those albums that just never seemed to do that. And and maybe now that's going to happen. Maybe now with this reissue on vinyl and stuff that that'll happen, but it's so always that- surprising. I mean, I always hear, especially in this genre of like stoner rock, stoner metal, doom, whatever, like people, talking about old albums 20 year old albums and, and it, it eventually makes its way around and eventually people start grabbing onto that album and this one's not one of them and so what this album is going to pick up i guarantee you tomorrow it releases on Bandcamp. it has tomorrow's date as the release date there's going to be people thinking it came out right now yeah, oh, yeah. and that's okay that's okay I guarantee you that this will get vote, votes for the Doom Charts. Which it, is, it, it, it was a little confusing because they released like a single, and it's like, well, this album's already been out for 15 yeah. years, like <laughs> unnecessary to release a single. But they're they're kind of doing it like it's a a new album, which is probably the right way to do it because people I mean, need to to look at it that way. Absolutely, you know? it's it's getting the it's getting the the PR the everything yeah. right now to put it out, and hopefully people pick it up but that, that could be one thing too that that hurt them back then is i don't know what kind of like marketing or pr or people they their contacts who, they did man if they even tried they may have they, they just might not have even put any effort into trying to get people to hear it well, yeah. i i think it could almost be a fun uh little science experiment of sorts to like set an alarm three months from now you know fuzz club is out interviews are out releases are out how many views now? How many shares now? How much buzz now? And then talk to the band again and say, is there any chance of getting back together now? Because I really feel like those numbers are going to escalate. So. I, I tried to push him on that same sentiment. was like, what if this album just blows up? Like, any chance then? And I, it didn't sound like it. <laughs> well, what's funny is they're all still really good friends. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's not like there's some kind of, like, interpersonal... No, it's just it like lack of interest in in this type of music for them. It this just just isn't their thing. Yeah, they're they're just kind of over it. Yeah, it makes me very sad. Yeah, it's not too late. They 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 could they could grow back into it too. Yeah, yeah. people get tired of playing he- like as heavy as possible. Yeah, you think that you think you you would get tired of that like eventually? I think probably do physically like bands tend to slow down a little bit when they age some but well and and we talked lyrically with him a little bit and how his like Bismore and stuff is such a like personal uh you know project and it's just like he pours it all out in those things whereas this album was more about like Blake I don't maybe you remember exactly what it was about but like nerd shit <laughs> whatever it's it was nerd shit. it's lord of the rings and like mythology yeah and he was like I, I wasn't writing about much i mean there you know there's there's personal things kind of intertwined in it under this like lord of the rings package and it's got to be easier to, to to do that than just like pour your heart and soul into things constantly i mean to just write about lord of the rings or something i would assume it could be a little bit of a break so maybe maybe he'll get tired of pouring himself out like that every time <laughs> yeah for sure well right. anything else so i i mentioned the band solace and i don't know if it's a direct comparison but it's just it this album and i don't want to 
detract from sorcery sorcerers but i wanted to put that out there because i went back today i went down the, the soulless rabbit hole and i've got a record behind me and they were one of the bands that that first like stoner rock heavy heavy bands that i just felt like nobody knew about and they were just fucking amazing and every album they put out is is superb and they if you have if you don't know about them you should check them out I don't think that I do. It's called Sola. Yeah. So it, they've got it. They put an album out called Further was their debut. Then an album called 13. Then 2010 was AD, which is this one you see behind me. It's kind of a double LP. It's like their magnum opus record. And then they came back with the, with the album, I think, that Blues Funeral Records put it out in 2019. Like a, they got back together and released another album. And it was pretty cool, too. Nice, but it's got a lot of similar like elements. It's it's a heavy, heavy stoner rock sound, like pretty aggressive, but has that rock and roll kind of soloing and the stoner kind of groove to it. But so one thing I wanted to mention was that, like, despite the the heaviness, the evilness, the the stoner and the doom stuff, it still has this kind of it still swings like fucking great. It really has a great um, rhythmic feel, and it, it has a boogie feel to it, where it's like you could dance to these tracks, kind of. You can yeah. rock out to them, but they're still they're still evil, and and like they got enough doom in there for me. Yeah. So I really dig all those, and and the playing like is really like head and shoulders above most bands in the in the genre, in my opinion. Yeah. And like mm -hmm. the hell is more stuff I've heard. The playing isn't doesn't really shine. Like it does in this album, like, yeah. I'm sure that it, you know, it's technically what it needs to be for that stuff from Mismore and Hell. But this stuff, man, they're fucking ripping. Like they're playing really well. Yeah, they play fast too. Super fast and tight. Even and the best. Yeah, they don't get too fast for their own their own good. They're they're great. Eddie, you said they're they're bass player. Yeah, the, the bass is, is just right in there too, right in the pocket, like drums mm -hmm. and also like doing like the, the lead stuff with the guitar sometimes and fills it all in really good. It's, yeah, Liam yeah. was the bassist and the vocalist. That's that's what I was gonna say was he he was the bassist, right, and the vocalist. And he he was ripping the bass is amazing. Yeah. Like they three piece? throughout the whole thing. Four piece. Four piece, okay. Two guitars or I believe so, yeah. Yeah. So the if there are two, four guys, two guys, one, one in hell, one in Mismore, what are the other two doing? Uh, so Andrew Black is on this album. He does uh, like ambient music, but he's also the live bassist for both Mismore and Hell. And then uh, the last member, who I believe his name is Blake Farron, Farum. Um, I, I don't know if he still makes music or not. I'm assuming he was a guitarist or something. Yeah, I think Andrew and him were the guitarists. Okay. I think. Yeah, I know so little. I know nothing about the band, and I barely know the songs. But I'm. This is my new favorite band. I think of the next little while. I think I'm going to be delving pretty deep into this album. We should mention that 
it's coming out on King Volume. King Volume was nice enough to uh, give us that that link to check it out and, and get this episode together and and hook us up with with Liam and and all that kind of stuff. So shout out to them. That was cool. Thank you, King Volume. Yeah, yeah. And looking at their Bandcamp, it's they've got quite a bit of support, like on the pre order for that. I don't know if it's the same site. I get the impression that it the whole album was available to stream for a while on Bandcamp. And it was on like was, Warren Hell. Because there's reviews up like, oh, this album's great. And I'm like, fuck, I got here too late. But tomorrow it should be back, turned back on, I imagine. Or two weeks ago it turned back on. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Well, I think that, that that's probably uh, pretty good, unless anyone's got anything else. We got the uh, split episode, so I think we got plenty. But any final comments? Any final thoughts on this one? Great fucking album, man. <laughs> yep. 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 Is yep. your mind blown? Spaffy and me. All right. I just want to say, if you're a sorceress, I've never heard of a sorceress quitting, so that just means the band's still together. So whatever. <laughs> valid. valid argument. I want to. I want to get my hands on their first band, Love Machine. Yeah. Two thousand six, two thousand seven. It kind of sounded like it was like more in this territory than than the Mismore route. Like it was... I, I get the feeling that maybe he doesn't want people to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it seemed very uh, like, no, you will not hear that. Yeah, I, I was not. I looked. I was like, where the fuck? Like, I'm so used to everything being online now. It's so you find a band that you can't find online. You're like, what the fuck, man? Like, right. Like, it, it must be intentional. If you can't find something, it has to be intentional. Yeah. So. Although I do really enjoy the fact that you just said you wanted to get your hands on their love machine. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right, let's uh let's go around. Everyone can tell everybody what they're up to. Bucky, you want to lead us off again? All right. Well, two weeks ago, the Doom charts for February came out tomorrow as we recorded. <laughs> so the the new uh, monthly chart should come out. So it's going to be. I mean, it was a stacked month. It was a great February. month. Man. Lots of good and, stuff. Yeah, and that's really all I got. I'm just going to be poking around. Find me on. Twitter on Instagram and Bandcamp. So gobbling up records over there. So cool. Ox. We head out on the road on March 8th into Quebec. Uh, we're going to hit up Ottawa, then Montreal, then Quebec City, then Sherbrooke. About 2,200 kilometers, or maybe that's one mile in American. Um, I don't, know. don't ask me what that means. Many liters of gas will go into our cars. <laughs> <laughs> we get to join our uh, our uh, French brothers of Sons of Arrakis and a bunch of other really cool bands. So if you check out our socials, maybe go check out all their music and have some fun and Maybe just keep commenting about how we want sorcerers to come back together. That's just keep putting that out there. <laughs> Eddie, uh, Lawrence is uh, stepping back in the the groove of things here pretty soon, and uh, the endless is hitting the studio this summer for recording our debut album, and I'm still working on some stuff on my own, trying to learn how to play some the says and 
couple of, a couple of other ones. And dude, you're a fucking talented painter. Holy shit. That too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. I'm doing my first landscape here now. Nice. It's awesome. Blake? Uh, a lot in the pipeline on the second album. Uh, we'll have some more announcements about that uh, within the uh, month or so. Cool. All right. We'll catch you all on the next one. <laughs>